Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. The Resurrection. But on the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And turning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Do you guys like movies? We like movies? I hope so. I hope so. Okay, do you remember the movie that made you start liking movies? Maybe that's a weird question. But like, you saw a movie, you're like, wow, this is really cool. Do you remember that? You remember. Perfect. So there, there were some great movies of my childhood. Um, you know, my childhood, we were like living out the end of the Cold War. So we had all the like great, you know, I still believe Rocky ended the Cold War, uh, Rocky Four. Uh, Star Wars uh, was my kid childhood. You know, the Brat Pack movies like Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire. Like, all those were great. But for me, there's, there's one movie that stands out that was, that was like, this really makes me like movies. And, and I, th- I think it's because it was so uh, quotable, still is so quotable. Um, if you've spent time with my wife and I, I apologize because we, we confuse people sometimes. Because we speak our own language called movie quotes. And we'll, sometimes we'll have entire conversations just quoting movies back and forth to each other. Um, I, I, so I don't know how that happens. But like I have in my head, like my head is full of just useless movie quotes. You know, I, I can't quote the Declaration of Independence. I don't know any great poetry. I wish I could like recite that sometimes. But, you know, I can tell you every line to the Goonies. Uh, <laughs> I, still, I could still do that. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But so the year was 1987, and and my parents took us to the uh, to the movies to go see a movie that had all I knew is that had Andre the Giant in it, and I loved wrestling at that point in my life. And who wouldn't like a movie that has Andre the Giant in it? And so if you like movies, you already know the movie that I'm talking about. That's 1987 with Andre the Giant. Um, but this is a classic movie, and it's mainly classic because of how quotable it is. Um, and so, you're already thinking, what's the movie? <laughs> yes, I knew you guys would know this. This is, this is, you're in for a treat. Okay, um, <laughs> this, this movie is so quotable, and if you don't know this movie, I'm sorry, you need to know it, but this movie is so quotable, I think I can show you a picture 
and you guys will know the quote of that point in the movie, and we're going to try it because I, this is my thought. So I want you guys to look at this first picture and tell me if you know the quote. I heard it. Say it louder. Well, you didn't say it right. Inconceivable, right? It's inconceivable. And then right after that moment, you, if you know the movie, you say, you, he says, you keep using that word. Right? I do not think it means what you think it means. Inconceivable. Okay, next one. Do you remember this one? What is it? I'm loving this right now. Have fun storming the castle. Yeah, great classic line. That's Billy Crystal, if you didn't know. Uh, anyway, another, that's a, a great one. Okay, next one. Never go against when death is on the line. Right. This, number one rule, don't get in a land war in Asia. Number two, never go against the Sicilian when death is on the line. You guys are doing great at this. This is so good. Okay, next one. Hello? Oh my goodness. That's right. Hello, my name is Nigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. All right, all right. This is our last one. This is our last one. This one might be a little bit tougher. He is only mostly dead. That's right. Okay. He says, oh, you were so smart. He's only mostly dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. Slightly alive. So we could do uh, quotes from this movie all afternoon, and you guys would get really tired of it. But, um, but I show you this last one because I think it's, it's fitting for this morning. First, because it's Resurrection Sunday, it's appropriate to tell you um, that Jesus was not mostly dead. Right, he was dead, dead. He was all the way dead. That's, that's kind of the first thing. But the second reason I, I show you that is, is because I, it makes me think of this question. What does it mean to be more than slightly alive? How can we be fully alive? Not just slightly alive, fully alive. Let's pray with that question in mind. And Father, we come to your word now this morning knowing it holds truth knowing it has all that we need to know you and to know salvation. God, would you fill our hearts with your truth, what it means for us this morning. Use this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in John chapter 11. We're going to read verses 17 through 27. John 11, 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet 
shall he live, and whoever and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so I'm just so glad that you're with us this morning. We've been in a, a sermon series on, there are these seven statements in John that we call the I Am statements. It's, it's where Jesus uses the, the divine name of God, I am that I am, and he uses that name to tell us that he is God, and then he describes who he is. And, and, and so today we finish that series. We have, we have seen him claim to be the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, and, and, and others. And, and, and I have been arguing that if a person only knew these seven I am statements of Jesus, it would be enough. If, if all you ever knew about Jesus were, were these seven I am statements, it would be enough. I'm so glad we have more, but, but that would be enough. Because through these seven statements, Jesus reveals to us his mission and purpose in coming to earth and coming, coming here. You would know all you need to know about the Savior, Jesus Christ by what he reveals in these incredible seven claims. And, and today's claim is, is no different. Jesus will tell us that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, you may have noticed that our, our passage um, is not a part of the typical resurrection story. You may be thinking, why are we, why, we're, you, you, we're further in the story of John than, than chapter 11. Um, so, so we're, we're going we're gonna to look a little bit at this story and then see where it, where it ties in to, to what we, we just read in Luke 24 um, the, in this most incredible of days, Resurrection Sunday. The story of Lazarus might be familiar to you. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Uh, he, was, he was the brother of, of the very famous Mary and Martha, the, the sisters. And, and, and he gets sick and the sisters send for Jesus. And he delays in coming, uh, and in fact waits until Lazarus is dead. And the sisters are are obviously devastated, um, and, and and even we would say a little disappointed that that Jesus wasn't there sooner, didn't didn't show up when they hoped he might. Um, and so when he when he does come, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb for four days. And the sisters hear that that. Jesus is coming up the road, and Martha, kind of being Martha, decides she's going to go and talk with him, right? So she's going to get up, and she's going to go and meet him on the road. And, and I've read a whole lot and thought about this a whole lot. I, I don't think she is angry. This is not a confrontation where she's going to give him a piece of her mind. I don't think her tone is accusatory. It's, it's really a, a statement of faith in the midst of her sadness. I know that you could have done something if you had been here. And there are some who argue that he would have died even if Jesus had left ex- immediately when it was the, for the timing of all this stuff. He, he probably died right after they sent the messenger. But that's not really the point. The point is he's been dead for four days and the sisters are sad and they sure wish Jesus could have been there because they, they know that he would have he prevented, prevented death somehow. She says, I know, you could have done something had you been here. And then she makes this statement, but I know even now that whatever you ask from God, will, God will give you. And it's, it's kind of a weird phrase in, in the original language. It's a strange statement. Most scholars don't think she is asking for or expecting Jesus to bring him out of the grave after four days. 
She, that's not really a possibility or something he could do or would do in her mind. That's really not what she's saying here. I, I, I think it's, I, I, so, you know, because when he does go to do that, right, when he got, does go to bring him, she's like, don't go in there. It's going to smell bad, right? I, I mean, she's afraid. She doesn't want him to even do it. I, I think she's just expressing that she needs Jesus, that she needs help in life, and, and for him to do what only you can do. I mean, I think it's kind of a, this sort of blanket faith statement, just God, I'm glad that you're here. You could do something. And Jesus responds simply to her. Your brother will rise again. And, and so it's a simple, simple uh, comforting statement, but, but Jesus hasn't revealed his plans just quite yet. We don't know exactly what he's, what he's going to do. And, and so Martha's going to give a, a, a kind of a cliche answer that it actually is a, a Jewish answer. Um, and she says, I know that, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And, and some might say that what the Jews believed was, was kind of this uh, vague hope. It wasn't, wasn't real affirming what they, what they believed about the end. Um, so they, they kind of had this idea that, that a, a person would stay dead until the last day, and, and then they would get just like a normal, ordinary, earthly body, body again. Um, uh, there's a scholar named William Barclay, and he says this, One of the strangest things in Scripture is the fact that the saints of the Old Testament had practically no belief in any real life after death. The Hebrews believed that the soul of every man, good and bad alike, went to Sheol, where they lived a vague, shadowy, strengthless, strengthless, joyless life like specters or ghosts. It's hard to imagine any kind of hope in, in, in that kind of ending, right? We know some, some others, like David, seem to, seem to speak of a, of a more hopeful future than that, but that's kind of the general idea. And, and this seems to be sort of the outlook of Martha. Um, and so Jesus is going to say something incredible to her a, a, a after that response. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die." Yet shall he live, and everyone who li lives and believes in me shall never die. Uh, commentator Richard Phillips calls these the most precious and important words ever to come from Jesus' lips. That's quite a statement. The resurrection and the life. The most important thing Jesus could tell us about himself is that he is the resurrection and the life. And, and so if we think about this for a second, we can figure out why that's probably true. So remember, Jesus is going to make the claim in this moment, I am that I am. He's going to use God's divine name here to tell us that he is, in fact, God. I am that I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He is claiming divinity. He is claiming that he is the source of life. He is the originator of it. It comes from him. He is the antidote, then, for death. For all death. He's the opposite. And so I want to look at, at kind of these, these separate claims of, of the resurrection and, and the life. First, he claims he is the resurrection. And, and it's interesting. It's, he doesn't say, I bring resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. Now, the obvious great news is, is that Jesus is saying here that death does not have the final say. And, and, and we live in this world where death is, is a reality. Uh, unless the Lord returns before, 
you and I will die. And that's hard to think about, it's hard to acknowledge, but it is the truth. Death cannot be avoided in this life. Our, our world tries to sell any sort of way to cheat death. How do you live longer? How do you stop aging and all this stuff, right? Millions and billions of dollars on, are spent trying to get past this terrible reality that death is, is, is a, a reality for all of us. There's no escaping it. The reality is, is that the curse of sin is death, and that applies to everything and everyone that lives. And so what Jesus is offering to those who want his salvation is eternal life after we die. That after our bodies die, they will be brought back to life and, and, and we will live forever. And, and as, as you know, this is incredible news. It's hard to overstate this. But because Jesus rose from the grave, those who trust in Christ don't have to fear death. Yeah, we're not looking forward to it. Nobody wants it. But we know that it's not the end. It's not the end for those who are in Christ. And, and we could spend the whole time talking about that, but I'm going to just gonna stop here at that amazing, great news. For those in Christ, death is not the end because he is the resurrection. And Jesus also says that he is the life. And, and the word he uses for life tells us that it's more than just having a pulse. It's more than just, hey, that tree over there is a living thing. It's, it's a bigger word than that. It's, it, it's the kind of life when, when people talk about a living God. They, it's this, this word. Some would say it's the, it's the life that God has. And so Jesus is talking about eternal life. And, and notice the sequence. There is resurrection from physical death, and then there is eternal life. Again, we, we can know that once you and I are gone, it won't be over for us. That is not the end. One of my favorite quotes ever is from D.L. Moody, who said in the, the last days of his life, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? He says, at that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he says he is the life, that D.L. Moody understood it, and this is what we're talking about. And, and, and this, is, this is what most of us think about, and I hope this is what most of us think about when we think of, the East, of Easter and the resurrection. It's what we think of when we imagine salvation, and it's true, and it's amazing news. We will be more, the second we die, we will be more alive than we've ever been in Christ. But, but I, I just want to stop here for a second and, and, and say that if this is all you think about when you think of the resurrection, you're missing out on being all alive, 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 more alive. You're missing out on, on something fuller, a bigger, even more than that Jesus intended than just this, as if this wasn't enough. There's even more that Jesus is promising in this moment. Because I talk to people sometimes and I hear something like this. Yeah, I heard the, the gospel, you know, at one point in my life and I prayed that prayer and then I got saved when I was like 12 and yeah, I'm going to be in heaven someday. And, and that's like the end of the conversation, right? And 
To, to me, that feels a little strange. When, when Jesus is offered life, he says that he is the life. There's more than just talking about the end. There's, there's life. And so when I hear conversations like that and, and have them with people, it makes me feel a, a little bit like buying a life insurance policy. Right? It's like, it's like, oh, I make sure I definitely need that, so I'm going to buy it, and I hope I never use it, but I guess whenever, it'll be there whenever it's time. Right? I mean, that's kind of what we all use life insurance for. Or, or maybe it's like buying a ticket on a journey someday, long, long time from now. Right? I got my, I've got my ticket. That's great. But I, I think Miracle Max would agree with us that salvation is salvation, and that's that's, that's resurrection is, is, is eternal life, but that there's more life now. You can be alive, alive. You can be alive, alive. And what do I mean by that? So I'm going to try, I've worked really hard to try to think of a good example, and I can't come up with a perfect one. Here's the best that I got. It is imperfect. So it's, it's, it's like buying tickets. We talked about buying tickets on a journey. Here's a ticket story. My favorite band is, is a band called U2. I don't know if any of you guys like U2. I love U2, like a little bit crazy about it. And, and that's like a, a message for another day. But several years ago, they, were, they, were, they hadn't toured in forever, and it was kind of this like, maybe they'll never tour again. I'm never going to get to see them in concert. Um, the tickets are crazy expensive, even if there was one, but... They were doing this reunion tour of it, their best album, which everyone would agree, if you're a U2 fan, is the Joshua Tree. Anybody? There we go. I need some hands. Thank you. It's the Joshua Tree. So I told Beth, I said, we've got to go. And she said, hey, yeah, let's do it. Let's splurge and spend, like, dumb money on tickets to a concert. Okay, and so we did. And, like, I joined the fan club so I could get in line early to buy these dang tickets. And... Uh, and, like, they sold out in minutes. I mean, it was a miracle that I even got to. didn't matter where, got tickets. And, um, but you had to buy them. There was, like, a year in advance, okay? So I bought these tickets to this concert I've wanted my whole life, and it's, like, a year out. So what did I do in the year between that time and the concert? I put the tickets in a, in a desk and just forget about it, and I'll pull them back out and think about them when it's time? Heck no. Of course not, Right? I decided let's become an even bigger, crazier YouTube fan. I'm going to spend more time listening to music. I even, you know, found a couple of books that have been written about them and, and read those. I mean, like, I was like the U2 guy. And so by the time, by the time the concert got there, like, I, I was, well, again, that's another time, another sermon. But <laughs> I was, like, over the top excited, okay? And so, um, so you know, day comes, and... And, I mean, it's like a true life highlight, okay? I was losing my ever-loving mind in this concert because it's, I mean, there's the songs I've been singing my whole life, right? And, I mean, I just could not have been more excited. And, and, and then there's next to us these people that also had tickets. And, and I don't know how they got tickets. Maybe their office gave it to them for free. Or, you know, somebody got, I don't know how they got tickets. They didn't really seem like they cared that much about you too. So I'm like, what are you guys doing here? Not losing your minds. But, you know, if for them it was an interesting event, nothing more than that, right? It was a little bit of entertainment. 
But they weren't losing their minds like I was. Who, who appreciated the concert more? Right? And, and maybe you can see the difference as I'm getting here. And again, it's an imperfect example here. But you, maybe you see where I'm going. Now, I want to be theologically very clear. We both had tickets. We both got to the concert. And I didn't earn a ticket. Couldn't, wouldn't, couldn't do it. Right? And, and me loving their music more didn't get me a better seat or a higher level. All right? So theologically apply all of this. Right? They got to go into the same concert that I did. But who was more excited? So because Jesus tells us that he is the resurrection, and that's the word he uses, he is the resurrection, and that he is the life, present tense, that means those things are true in this life. They're true right now. In Christ, you and I can say we have already been resurrected. And that sounds like a weird phrase. We have already been resurrected, but it's true. We already are living eternal life right now for those in Christ. We are already living it. So I just want you to think for what a difference of perspective that is in light of all of this, right? Is it a ticket that I bought because I know I need it someday and I'm just going to leave it over here? Or is it something I can live with every day because it's already going on? It's already happening. In Christ, we can wake up and have the opportunity to live what scholars call a resurrection life. Maybe you've heard that before, the resurrection life. And, and the resurrection life is, is different than simply having some sort of eternal ticket that we're waiting to use one of these days. It's, it's way more than that. It's so much better than that. It's a restored life. It's a relational life with Jesus right now. It's a rewarding life, and it is a rejoicing life. And, and so I would say this. Easter isn't the pinnacle of Christianity in the sense of an endpoint. It's not the destination. Whew, we got there, let's be, now we're done. No. Easter is the pinnacle of Christianity, but it's because it's the bridge to life. It's the bridge to this beginning that will never end. It's the start of hope. It's the start of life. And, and crazy, all kinds of life. A, a life lived in the power of the resurrection. And that's what is offered to us. Life can be so much more than you and I think that it is. And, and so we're going to look at that more because it's such an amazing thing. And so that's why starting next Sunday... Um, and, and we put these in there so you can, I don't know if you want to put it on your fridge or be reminded, but this is a new series that we're going to start because the, the, the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. So we're going to look at that for the next five weeks. This is not, Easter is not the end point. It is the beginning of something even more amazing. If that sounds crazy, it's as good as news as the resurrection is, it gets even better with what Jesus promises. And I want you to know about that. So, so plan on joining us for that. See, you and I live lives that are, are filled with stress and anxiety and chaos and loneliness and, and all of it, right? Life is hard. But the resurrection has something to say about all of those things. It has something to say about loneliness and chaos and, 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 and hopelessness. 
and grief. The resurrection gives us more, gives us, equips us for life. So if you struggle with fear and anxiety and all this stuff, I, I would invite you to come. Come learn what it means to live a, a resurrected life in Christ. So we, we know that, that Jesus, the beginning of the book of John, tells us that, that Jesus, he's the Word made flesh. He is the communication from God to us. He couldn't have written a better message, right? He sent his Son to tell us. And so Jesus spends a, to, a, a lot of time communicating with the world. And, and he tells us things like who God is, who we are, how loved we are. Jesus makes it very clear that you and I are his beloved children. And, and Jesus dying and resurrecting is the ultimate act of love for his people. You are so loved. And I hope you hear that. I hope you know that. You are so loved by God. You are so loved by Jesus. But Jesus also came to the world to tell us who he, who he is. And so as we have examined these last seven weeks, he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the doorway to God. He is the good shepherd. He is the vine. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection. And he is eternal life. We know all we need to know about who he is. And so I think the only thing that's left after that is one thing. And we see it in Matthew chapter 16, right after Jesus performs a great miracle. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? See, Jesus has told us about himself. He's told us who we are, and now Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it, it requires a response. It requires an answer from you and from me. Who do you say that I am? How would you respond to that? And, and I hope that you would come uh, to, to say that you have come to know Jesus as Savior. And if you haven't, done that ever, I would tell you, you can decide that today and be forgiven. Receive salvation as a free gift from Jesus. You can do that today. You can have resurrection and life, and you can, it starts now. And for those of you who have already responded to that question and said, yes, I know who he is and he is my Savior, then I would also ask you this question. Are you living a resurrected life, a life lived in the power of the resurrection, where the, where the power of Christ is working in everyday life and everything that you do and everything that you say. Because the resurrection changes everything. I'll close with, with a song that I couldn't get out of my head this week. I'm just going to give you kind of one, one chorus of it. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's pray. Father, we would run out of words to say before we could exhaust what it means 
that you are the resurrection and the life and what that means for the world, what that means for us. Help us to know and to trust in Christ for salvation. Help us to know that resurrection starts now. We are living in the resurrection. We are living in eternal life in this moment if we, if we are trust in Christ. And God, as we look forward to every day after this one, God, let us live in the resurrection. Let us live like people who know that death doesn't have power over us. Let us live like people who know that all things work together for our good and for your glory. So we don't have anything to be afraid of. We don't have to be alone because you have promised to be with us. Oh God, help us see what a life of resurrection could be. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.